Father Brown stories by G. K. Chesterton. We present the Arrow of Heaven, adapted by John Scotney, with Andrew Sachs as Father Brown. The items on this list are all items prohibited from being imported into the United States of America. You got any of these? Oh, may I see? Um, no, no, no. Oh, good heavens, no, no. Good. Anything to declare? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, thank you. I hope you've got your umbrella. Your famous umbrella? My umbrella? I, well, I didn't think I had to declare it. Just a little wisecrack. Uh, 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 a joke, Father Brown, a joke? Oh, but you know my name, but I've never been here before. How know your to... name, Father Brown? Well, I reckon just about everyone in little old New York's heard of your exploits. Really? <clears throat> Father Brown. Yes? On behalf of the fraternity of New York customs officers, I'd like to welcome you to the United States of America. <laughs> oh, Boys, I can tell you Father Brown's clean, and I'm sure he'll be happy to answer your question. Well, Hoffman and the New York Bugle. Hey, Father Brown, how do you explain the recent crime wave in New York City? Huh? Oh, is there one? Is there going to be a war, sir, between the German Kaiser and the British Empire this year, next year? What, in your opinion, sir, will the American woman be wearing in 1940? I would really... I'd be, uh, come on now, boys, come on. Give Father Brown a break. Colonel Craig, thank heavens. I've seen enough here. Yeah? He's bringing up the automobile out. Outside, Father Brown. Father Brown, are you staying at Brandenburg's castle? Castle? Yes, yes, he is, boys. Colonel Craig, uh, you got any information on the latest measures Mr. Merton's taken to catch Daniel Doom? Well, you tell me. I've been away in Europe the last couple of months. Can you tell us where he keeps the Coptic cup? Uh, no comment, boys, no comment. Now, who do you think Daniel Doom is, Father Brown? Uh, Daniel? Now, gentlemen, gentlemen, please, we're only just off the boat. Father Brown is tired. He's no doubt the S in the press paper later. Come on, now. Thank you all. Thank you. Let's wait, Father Brown. Over here, Uncle Hickory, over here. Hi there, son. <laughs> so, you got him away from the newsmen, all right. Those boys, I tell you, I'd rather face an Apache war party any day. This is my nephew, Father Brown. Father Brown, Captain Wayne. Oh, how do you do, Captain? It's an honor to meet you, sir. Oh, I hardly think well, Uncle Hickory says you're rooming with us for a couple of days at old Brander's Castle. That's right. Uh, yes, indeed. Yes, your your uncle and I met on shipboard, and as I had some time to spare before my conference, he kindly invited me to stay with him at Mr. Merton's. But, but what is this about a castle? I didn't know there were any castles in America. Oh, this was shipped stone by stone from Scotland. You don't My say. old partner, Brander, he has to be mighty careful about his safety, and that old heap seemed pretty well the most secure building he could find. You wait till you see it. Well, now, we'll stop a minute or two here at Mason's Hollow. Oh, last I... I thought we were never going to stop. <laughs> well, we've hardly come any distance. Mason's Hollow is only 50 miles from Manhattan itself. Uh, Father Brown, my nephew's an aviator. Uh, His ideas and destinies are based on flying. He considers it soon 
them machines will be as common in the United States as automobiles are now. Oh, really? That is fascinating. Excuse me asking, Captain Wayne, but uh, why why do you call your uncle Hickory? Ah, uh, that was a nickname I picked up in the old days. Oh, my uncle's kind of a modest man, Father Brown, but I can tell you Hickory Creek was one of the most famous Indian scouts in the old frontier days. Oh, shucks. He's something of a living legend. That was before he quit to start trading with old Merton. My nephew exaggerates, Father Brown. Mind you, it's true I did have quite a lot to do with the engines. Fact yeah. in the end is, that's why I resigned. I got to like the engines a whole lot better than the guys who were destroying their way of life in the name of progress. Oh, yes. Well, I can understand your point of view, Colonel. Um, there was something else I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind. Far away. Uh, what is all this business about Daniel Doom and the, uh, the, the, the Coptic Cup? Is that a horse race? <laughs> oh, no, sir, it's not. No, sir, <laughs> The Coptic Cup is a sort of chalice, I suppose you'd call it, set with uncut precious stones of various kinds. It goes back, certainly, before the time of Mohammed. It's led to the death of two millionaires who owned it. I see. And Mr. Merton is the third owner. Is, is, is that why he fears for his safety? Well, that's one reason. Though anyone has possession has to be careful. If you ask me, it's the main reason. The first victim was Titus P. Tramp, the, the Copper King. Mm -hmm. Seems it was sort of an heirloom in his family. He got these threatening letters from someone calling himself Daniel Doom. Then one day he was found with his head in his own lily pond. Goodness the cup me. it was in a bank vault went with the rest of the property to a cousin of his called Brian Horde. My. Goodness. And and he, too, got letters signed Daniel Doom? He sure did. One day he was found lying at the foot of a cliff outside his seaside residence, buried dead. Oh, oh, man. But the strange thing was the intruder, Daniel Doom, or whoever he was, went out of his way to destroy an enormous number of papers, set fire to them, stocks, bonds, that kind of stuff. It left Horde's affairs in a hell of a mess. Horde's widow had to sell the cup to sort out her financial problems. I see, and Mr. Merton bought it, yes. Has he also had threatening letters? I imagine he has. Oh, I'm pretty sure, but Brander keeps herself to herself these days. No one but a secretary sees his letters, but I've seen him real upset and annoyed with letters. Letters he tore up before the secretary saw them. Hey, let's get out of here. See who's coming out of that drugstore? That's that son of a bitch, Dragey. Uh-oh. Too late. He's seen us. Well, hi there, Colonel Craig, Captain Wayne. Hello. Uh, I'm real glad to see you two. Mm. I don't believe I've had the pleasure, sir. Father Brown, Norman Drage. Hello. How do you do? Uh, will you give me a ride up to the house, Captain Wayne? It's one of my days for a business consultation with good old Brander. All right, you better get in. Oh. Oh. Well, here we are. We have to stop here by the outer wall. Oh, heavens. Oh, dear, what a grim sight. That's Brander's private secretary's idea, John Wendell. He got that set up. It goes right round the grounds with just that one locked door, and that's armor-plated. The wall's capped with steel. You can run a powerful electric current right through it. Good heavens. Yeah. When you get to the castle itself, you have to enter by an enclosed elevator. Having second thoughts about staying with Brander, Father Brown? Oh, far from it, Mr. Drage. It is my duty to visit prisoners and all miserable men in captivity. <laughs> I know what you mean. Brander and me, 
We used to take our wagons deep into the heart of renegade territory, and he never worried. And now he's as scary as a jackrabbit. And what's the use of all these fortifications? You can't defend against the unexpected. Mm -hmm. Why, I remember once at Fort Bowie, I was there with Brander, a solitary Apache came up, one half-naked brave with just a little knife under the barrels of 50 carbines, yet he killed a trooper right up on the parapet. What happened? He threw it. Quick as a flash, he threw that darn knife. I, oh, hey, they've spotted us. They're opening the gates. Come on, let's get inside. It's very kind of you to have me as your guest, Mr. Merton. Not at all. In fact, I'd be glad of your advice. Hickory tells me you've got a pretty sharp reputation with regard to the uh, criminal element, shall we say? Oh, hardly, I'm afraid. I'd be very glad if you'd join me for luncheon. And afterwards, I'd be grateful if you'd have a talk with me in private. When am I free this afternoon, John? At 3.30, sir, just after you finish. 3.30 is then. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some private business to discuss with Drage here. Uh, you better come on through, Drage. I assume you won't be staying to lunch. I know how much you'd like me to, Brandon, but no, I, I won't. Thank you. I'll leave you with my secretary, Father Brown, while I get this over with. Oh, thank you so much. Come on, Drage. Excuse me, gentlemen. Uh, yes, sir, goodbye. I'm very proud to have met you, sir. I've heard a lot about your reputation. Oh, no, as a... please don't mention my reputation, Mr. Wendell. I, I feel as though I'm some sort of exhibit in a museum. Oh, as you wish, sir. Lunch is at one shop. Mr. Merton likes his guests to be punctual for meals, I should warn you. Uh, oh. <laughs> After lunch, he generally spends an hour or so with his lawyer. Then I go through the afternoon's program with him. After that, I leave him alone for 15 minutes. He insists I do that each day at 3.15. Oh, excuse me, uh... Harris? Yes, sir? Harris, Father Brown has an appointment with Mr. Merton at 3.30. Yes, sir. Harris is Mr. Merton's private bodyguard. He tries to make sure the boss is never left alone with strangers. Really? Or alone at all, really. But um, you said he is alone at 3.15 each day. Ah, yes, for a quarter of an hour out of each uh, 24 hours. That is all the real solitude he has. Oh. And that he insists on, and for a very curious reason. Yes. The Coptic cup is hidden somewhere in that room. None of us knows where, but uh, every day he takes it out and uh, <laughs> worships it, you might say, alone. Oh, dear, but isn't that dangerous? I, I, is there a window? I don't know about these things, but surely someone knowing his habits with a rifle... Oh, might... no, 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 there's no window, only a skylight, and uh, that's the only door with Harris on the other side. You've seen the other precautions. The doors are all kept locked, and uh, here's the switch to turn on the electrocuting current round the walls. Oh. And, of course, we're all armed. Oh. It's pretty unlikely Doom could get in, but if he did, he'd never get out. How did you enjoy your first taste of American cooking, Father Brown? Oh, it's quite delicious, Mr. Merton. If you'd like to have some coffee, I'm sure John Wendell will be pleased to join you. Of course. Oh, thank you. Well, that's yes. it, then. I'll see you both later. Oh, indeed. Thank you. Yes. The cream and sugar, Father Brown? Oh, how kind. Yes, please. Uh, uh, both. Yeah. Um, Mr. Wendell, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but um, I was just thinking, uh, these precautions you've taken... Yes? Well, aren't they a little excessive? Uh, Mr. Merton is, in effect, a prisoner in his own house. Maybe. He does complain sometimes. But this Daniel Doom is, uh, is a kind of obsession with me. My full name is John Wendell Horde. Horde? 
Wasn't that the name of the second victim? He was my father, yes. Daniel Doom killed him and ruined my mother, as well as murdering Titus Trant, who was a kind of uncle to me. When the family went bust, Mr. Merton took me on here. Yes, yes. I gather this Daniel Doom destroyed a number of important papers uh, at your father's house. Yes. Hmm. Seems like when he couldn't find the cup, in his rage he destroyed anything he could get his hands on. It was a crazy, senseless act. Perhaps, um, unless... What? Well, unless it was a deliberate act of cunning. After all, with the destruction of the shares and so forth, your mother presumably had to sell the cup. What? Did you mean... Well, it's, it's, uh, it was just a thought. Oh, dear. That's been a tiring day. Um, would it be possible for me to have a doze in the guest suite until my appointment? Oh, of course. Father Brown? Father Brown? Where am I? Oh... Oh, yes. Yes, yes, of course. I, yes. If you'll come this way. Thank you. Uh, Harris, show Father Brown in, will you? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, this way, sir. Thank you. It's Father Brown for you, Mr. Mert. Jump in, Jehoshaphat! What's the matter? Oh, God have mercy. What is it? Father Brown, what oh. is it? What's the matter? I fear you must press your switch, Mr. Wendell. Has he been shot? Well, it depends what you mean by shot. He's got an arrow in his neck, Mr. Wendell. And, and, and the skylight's wide open. Here, let me see. Oh, oh so it is. Uh, and the Coptic cup. Why isn't the cup here? What's happened to it? Aren't you going to press your switch? I sure am, and I'll set off the alarm, too. Yes, indeed. Harris, get onto the roof. He may still be there. Yes, sir, Mr. Wendell. Hey, watch me. Watch where you're going, huh? What the hell's happening, Wendell? I'm afraid it's already happened. Hey, Wendell, who is this little guy? Father huh? Brown, this is Blake Barnard, Mr. Merton's lawyer. He's dead, Mr. Barnard. So Brander's dead, is he? Sorry, I can't sound more surprised. I guess we all knew it was going to happen sometime. An arrow from heaven, you might say. Well, you might say that, Reverend. I say, let's check the roof. Harris is up there right now. Me? I'm going down to check the guard at the bottom of the elevator. Excuse me. Oh, what's this arrow from heaven nonsense? You really believe it's a miracle? Oh, no, no, no. Miracles are never uh, shrouded in mystery. They're really quite straightforward. When I said an arrow from heaven, I was thinking of aviation. Ah, here's Harris. Well, if Daniel Doom was on the roof, he sure ain't there now. I'd best report back to Mr. Wendell. Where is he? He's downstairs talking to the guards. Oh, Harris, when he's finished, would you ask him to have a word with me? Sure thing, Reverend. And, by the way, did Mr. Wendell leave this floor at all while I was asleep? Uh, No, sir. No, he didn't. He was here all the time. Hmm. He was in his office when Mr. Merton was with Mr. Barnard here. Then he went to see Mr. Merton himself. Yes. Then when Mr. Merton was, well, when I guess he was killed, he was with me. Hey, hey, you don't suspect Mr. Wendell. Do you, sir? I suspect everyone, Mr. Harris. If you gen, ask him to see me as soon as you can, please, as quickly as you can. Uh, Yes, sir. Yes. Do you have an address for Norman Drage, Mr. Barnard? I do. He's in an apartment on the east side. I'd like that address. And have you an automobile? Right outside, with my chauffeur. Good. Perhaps you'd be good enough to drive me to the flying field. I believe Captain Wayne and Colonel Crake are both there at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then if you drive to a station where I can get a train into New York... Father Brown, I'm getting to like you. You're a hustler. A a hustler? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? A hustler? (laughs) Ah, here's Mr. Wendell. You wanted to see me, Father Brown? Yes, Mr. Wendell. For reasons that I'm sure you understand 
You had to be the person I first suspected of murdering your employer. I see. But the actual circumstances of the murder seem to make that very unlikely. Uh, have you informed Colonel Craig and Captain Wayne of what has happened? Uh, no, not yet. I ah. was just going to telephone the flying yes, field. Yes, I'd, I'd rather you didn't. Uh, Mr. Barnard has kindly agreed to take me to the flying field in his motor car. I think it would be best if we broke the news to them. Why, howdy there, Bernard. Hi, Colonel. And Father Brown. This is an unexpected pleasure. Well, I'm afraid Mr. Merton um, wasn't able to see me, and Mr. Barnard kindly drove me over. Ah. Is Captain Wayne about? That's him up there now. What? He even took me up earlier. They, they have machines that, that carry two people, then? Sure do. No, Mr. Barnard. Colonel Craig once saw an Indian kill a man by throwing a knife. Is that so? Mm. But I should imagine the bow and arrow was a more common weapon. Well, it used to be. The old Sioux and Comanche Braves could shoot an arrow as straight as a bullet. Yes. And do it from the back of a pinto pony. Even even on the moon, Uh they could shoot an arrow accurately? They sure could, as long as you're properly balanced and brace yourself. Sounds like you did it yourself, Hickory. (laughs) I had to go a few times, and I guess it wasn't so bad, but that's all ancient history now. Hey! See, here's my nephew, lad. Oh, uh, yes. Peter! Uncle Hickory! We got visitors. <laughs> Father Brown, if I'd known you were coming, I'd have given you more of a show. You seem to be doing pretty well as it was. Oh, shucks, that was nothing. These kites are amazing. You wouldn't believe how maneuverable they are nowadays. Yes, tell me, would it be possible to get within, say, a hundred yards of a tree or a building? A hundred yards? I could get you within fifty yards. You want to come up for a demonstration? Uh, No, 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 not just now, thank you. (laughs) In fact, I've come to make an apology. I'm afraid I won't be able to join you for a meal this evening. Instead, I'd be grateful if you would meet me at Mr. Merton's house at 8.30. Well, what is this? What's the matter? Well, I'm afraid I'm... I'm very much afraid Mr. Merton was killed. What? Yes, at about 3.25 today. Good God. A poor old guy. How did it happen? By an arrow. Shot down through the skylight. What the... Hey! Now I get it. What the hell? Are you standing up to tell us we murdered my old partner? I don't understand. This clever dick here was asking me all about shooting arrows while you're on the move and all about flying machines that can carry two people. So? Well, don't you see? He thinks you flew me up over Brander's house and then I shot the arrow down through the skylight. I'm not accusing you of anything at the moment, but I would be grateful if you join us this evening. Who's there? Uh, hello? Who is it? Mr. Drage. Who the hell are you? Oh, it's you. Uh, do you do you always greet your visitors with a revolver, Mr. Drage? What do you want? I just dropped by to tell you that Brander Merton has been murdered. Has he? Well, let me tell you, he deserted a hundred times over. Oh, well, why didn't you murder him then? Why not, Mr. Drage? Hey, wait a minute. You want to know why I didn't murder him? You're a nice sort of clergyman. Hey, if that's your way of saying I did, well, prove it, that's all. As for him, I reckon he was no loss. Yes, he was. I would guess he was a loss to you. That's why you didn't kill him, even though I'm pretty sure you do know the identity of the so-called Daniel Doom. 
What are you getting at? Would you perhaps agree with me that, in the circumstances, all Mr. Merton's elaborate defences were a trifle absurd, as protection against Daniel Doom? Daniel Doom? Let me tell you, he... Didn't murder Brander Merton any more than you did. You know. I guess, Mr. Drage. I shall be at a little meeting at Mr. Merton's house at 8.30 this evening. At that meeting, I shall voice certain suspicions about you. Uh, these suspicions may well be unfounded. If they are not, however, I suggest you use the next few hours to good effect. Do you understand? I... Ah, uh, damn it, yes, I do understand. But... The... Good. Then you've confirmed what I've suspected. Goodbye, Mr. Drage. I doubt if we shall meet again. I don't like it at all. Come in. Gentlemen, Father Brown. Ah, good evening, Father Brown. Uh, good evening, Mr. Barnard. Uh, Mr. Harris, will you join us too, please? Oh, yes, sir. Now, is everyone here? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm afraid Mr. Drage and Mr. Wendell are missing. Ah, uh, not to worry. I saw Mr. Drage and telephoned Mr. Wendell from New York. Uh, I told him he needn't attend. Father Brown, what is this fiasco? I'm perfectly aware you believe Peter and I kill Brander. Oh, I assure you I don't. Why, you practically told us. Yeah. No, no, Captain Wayne. You told me. I felt it extremely unlikely that you went careering over the castle in a huge, noisy machine while an elderly gentleman leaned out at a perilous angle and unerringly shot a red Indian arrow through a skylight. But I had to suspect everyone, and you had to prove your innocence. And how the hell did they do that? Are you were there, Mr. Barnard. You recall how, uh, until they actually knew of the crime, they virtually fell over each other in explaining to us how they could have committed it. Yeah. Until they realized what they were accused of. Now, a guilty person would never have behaved like that. Besides, how did they steal the Coptic cup? Did they yank it up on a fishing line? But the Coptic cup is missing. In a sense. But I suspect it still lies hidden in whatever secret place Brandon Merton concealed it. Oh. I don't believe he ever took the cup out today. Then who did kill Brandon? Wait, it wasn't Norman Drage? Yes, you're right. It wasn't Norman Drage. Now, Drage is a criminal, but he didn't commit this crime. He was blackmailing Mr. Merton. What? Oh, yes. His were the letters you saw Merton tearing up, Colonel. Well, he wasn't likely to kill the goose that laid the golden eggs. So? Who did it? Well, Mr. Barnard, you were out of the room when the murder occurred. You mm -hmm. had plenty of time to go up to the roof and come down. And from what you told me of the nature of Mr. Merton's business affairs, I've no doubt that as his confidential advisor, you could find a way to benefit from his death. This is outrageous. No, no. You were my principal suspect. But then... On the train, I remembered Mr. Craig's story about the Indian uh, throwing the knife, and I realized I'd been a fool. What? Surely, if a knife can be used as a missile, then a missile, such as an arrow, could also be used as a knife. Sure. Mm. Brandon Merton was stabbed to death with an arrow pushed into his neck like a poignard. Well, I'm told he kept some arrows in his office as souvenirs of his days on the frontier. He did. He sure did. Why didn't I think? Because, Mr. Craig, if an Indian has a knife, you naturally expect him to stab with it. If a man has an arrow in his neck, you expect it to have come from a bow. Uh, especially if the murderer has the presence of mind uh, to open a skylight and place the body beneath it. 
But, gentlemen, before I go on, I, I must tell you the substance of John Wendell's telephone conversation with me. He has given me permission to tell you. He, um, he has gone off to be alone with his conscience. I'm sorry to tell you that John Wendell caught up with Daniel Doom and killed him. Well, well, I'll be. Good old Wendell. If he croaked Doom, he did a good day's work. But Mr. Wayne, did not Daniel Doom deserve a fair trial? You can't blame a man for downing a crook like that, Father Brown. Oh, of course no, no, you can't. Say, uh, how did he get him, huh? Oh, he stabbed him with an arrow. John Wendell Horde, for that was his full name... Holy Toledo. ...was, he admitted to me, obsessed with catching his father's murderer. Now, Drage somehow discovered that Brandon Merton was Daniel Doom and blackmailed oh, him. Doom. And when John Wendell realised who Doom actually was, partly, I fear, through some hints I dropped, well, he confronted Merton with it. There was a struggle and he seized the first weapon that came to hand. Brander was actually Doom himself? I don't believe it. Craig, do you believe it? Yes, I do. What? I've known Brander 40 years, and when he wanted something, nothing would stop him getting it, and he sure wanted that cup. Now, he's done some dirty things in his time. But get that, Harris? See who's calling? Yes, Mr. Craig. Mr. Merton's residence. Uh, it's for you, Father Brown. Oh, oh. oh thank you, thank you. Uh, hello, yes? Oh. Oh. Oh, dear me. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. I feel I'm terribly to blame. I... I deeply, deeply regret to tell you Mr. Wendell has taken his own life. God have mercy on his soul. And on mine. Well, I hate to say it, but I reckon that's a relief. What in God's name do you mean? That means that now we can hush the whole thing up, Father Brown. Well, I, for one, am ready to tell the truth to the proper authorities. Oh, no, no. We couldn't have a thing like this getting out. Surely not. Why, Brander Merton was a thing like the President of the United States. He was a... He was Daniel Doom. A mad murderer for whom you had no pity, whom you thought was rightly slaughtered without trial. Very well, then. If Daniel Doom has got his deserts, Brander Merton has got his deserts. If that was good enough for Doom, by all that is holy, it is good enough for Merton. Take your wild justice or our dull legality. But in the name of Almighty God, let there be an equal lawlessness or an equal law. I asked poor Wendell to examine his conscience. I feel I must examine mine. I ask you, gentlemen, to do the same. In The Arrow of Heaven by G.K. Chesterton, the part of Father Brown was played by Andrew Sachs, Barnard by Ed Bishop, Harris by Guy Gregory, Wendell by Andrew Branch, Norman Drage by Sean Prendergast, Brander Merton by Richard Durden, and Peter Wayne by Johnny Myers, Matt Crake by Harry Taub, and the customs officer by Tim Reynolds. The Arrow of Heaven was adapted by John Scotney, and the director from Bristol was Alec Reed. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We present The Mistake of the Machine, adapted by John Scotney, with Andrew Sachs as Father Brown. Hey, what? What in tarnation? Where's my flashlight? Hey, ah! who, who's there? Hey, you, come here, you, come here. Now, stop, stop. No, no, leave me. Leave me, please. Ah, oh, why? Now, come here now. I got a gun. I don't mind using it. No, don't shoot me. I didn't. Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, well, well, I just wonder where you're running from, friend. At this time of night, too. That, that's it. Now, slowly does it. Into the light of my flashlight here. Uh, let's have a look at you. Look, don't. Don't. Keep your hands high. See, you sure are one very unlucky Irishman to run into me this time of night. Who the devil are you? The name's Greywood Usher. I'm governor of the jail here. <laughs> and I guess I got a pretty fair idea who the devil you are, stranger. Come on now, this way. And I strongly advise you don't try anything funny. Help yourself to sugar, John. Oh, thank you, yes. Do you know, this is the first proper cup of tea <clears throat> I've had since I arrived in America. Ah. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> well. Well, it's good to see you again, old friend. Tell me, how does the life of a prison chaplain suit you? Oh, not so bad, John. Not so bad. Apart from the difficulty in getting hold of decent tea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on the governor's theories. The governor's theories? How do you mean? Oh, he's a decent enough body, sure enough. A fellow named of Greywood Usher. But he has all these ideas about the application of scientific method to the detection and prevention of crime. Oh, yes. And the gadgets, huh? Gadgets. Yes. See, he's got this place full of gadgets, all designed to demonstrate these theories of his. I can tell you, they make the good St. Thomas's ontological proof of God's existence seem simple. <laughs> yes, good old Aquinas. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many times at the seminary we sat up half the night arguing about him. Yes. And setting the world and Mother Church to rights. Oh, they were grand days. Grand days. Mm. Mm. That they were. How on earth did you know I was in Chicago, Jim? I read it in the pink press. The pink... The terrible so-called society papers they have here. The famous father, John Brown, is visiting our city. Oh, really? Yes, and I thought to myself, can that be the little stubby English fella <laughs> I knew all those years ago when we were both studying for the priesthood? Dear, oh dear, all this fuss, it's <laughs> terribly embarrassing. Not to worry. 
you've been eclipsed by another visitor from over the water. Come to grace our fair city, as they say here. Oh, see for yourself. Good heavens. The newspaper really is pink. Huh. <clears throat> Last trick, Todd. Last trick, Todd, society's brightest widower, is once again on the freak dinner stunt. Freak Hmm. This time it's a slum evening. What on earth is all this about? It's a needed idea. They all go about in fancy dress. Last time they had to dress up as babies or nurses. I saw them myself. His house, uh, Pilgrim's Pond, he calls it. It's just down the road from here. Mm. Now, this time it's a slum dinner. They all have to go as tramps, down and outs, and so forth. Oh, good heavens. Yeah, but that wasn't the part I meant. Here. Listen to this. Tonight, the hospitable Todd entertains Lord Falcon Roy, a true-blooded British aristocrat fresh from England's oak grove. Oh, say, how can they use that? <laughs> Go on, Read the rest of it yourself. <laughs> you see, Lord Falcon Roy is said to have been in the States in his youth. Fashion rumours a maybe reason for his return. Fashion rumours... A may be reason for his return in the person of last trick's only child, Miss Etta Todd, who comes into a fortune of twelve million dollars. Yes, and they call themselves Republicans. And what do you make of it, John? I think the journalist who wrote it should be put on a charge of murder. What? For murdering the English language. Oh, come in, please. Father O'Connor. Uh, oh, 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 Governor. Uh, I didn't know you had company. Oh, yes, come in. Uh, we were just uh, talking about it, so we were, weren't oh. we? Uh, uh, sit down. Uh, ah, thank you. Thank you. <coughs> Governor, this is an old friend of mine from England, Father Brown. Ah, Father. Say, uh, are you the Father Brown, the noted criminologist? Well, I don't know, am I? Well, didn't I read about you? In oh, the... in, in the pink newspapers. Oh, dear, yes, I rather fear you may have done. Oh, Father Brown, <laughs> let me shake you by the hand. Oh, it's... Uh, yeah. uh, Usher's the name, how Greywood how... Usher. Oh, it's an honor to have you in my jail. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you can spare the time, I'd sure like to discuss a few matters of mutual interest mm. with you. But, uh, but right now, i got some pretty urgent business with Father O'Connor here. Now... Father, mm -hmm. this is important. In your visits to the Sequa convict settlement, did you ever come across one Oscar Ryan? Now, you must know him. He's an Irish Catholic. Oscar Ryan? Yes. No. What? I don't think so. <sighs> Oscar Ryan? Yeah. Well, it does sound... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Sorry, no. <sighs> now, that is a pity. Uh, I was hoping you might be able to identify him. After all, he is a Catholic. You sure you don't know him? Well, I'm sure I've come across the name somewhere, though. Why, you sure have. It's right there in that newspaper you got in your hand. There, you see. Convict escapes from Sequa. Uh, that's a convict settlement, Father Brown, about 30 miles from here. Now, I see. Apparently, this fella, Oscar Ryan, overpowered the warder on the north wall and took his gun and jumped down. They only had one guy on patrol on account of it's so steep and dangerous there. Didn't they find a note or something? But they sure did. Uh, here, it's in the paper. The warder was found bound and gagged. Beside him was a note reading, I've taken the gun, but will use it only for self-defense. I mean no harm to any man but one. I'm keeping the bullet for Pilgrim's Pond. Pilgrim's Pond, Jim? Isn't that where the... Yes, it is. Mm. Anyway, boys, have I got news for you? <laughs> 
Jack Hill, he's the governor of secrecy. <laughs> he's sure gonna eat dirt when he hears what I gotta tell him. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> and what's that, Mr. Usher? Why, don't you see? I got him. I got him. I got Oscar Ryan in cell 25. I got the guy that bust out of his jail. Locked up safe in mine. <laughs> I was out walking. Like to walk in the evening gives me time to think. That's when I get my best ideas. Anyway, I saw this figure. Reckon I know an escaped convict when I see one after all these years. How, Governor? Well, the, the obviously stolen, rough, ill-fitting clothes. The, the furtive, frightened manner when I turned my flashlight on him. That becomes second nature. You should know that. Didn't recognize him when I first saw him, though. Then I realized it had to be Ryan. Why? Well, first there was the Irish accent. Ryan is Irish. But there are plenty of Irish in these parts, Governor. I'm glad it wasn't me you saw. Ah, but he was also in the environs of Pilgrim's Pond. It wasn't a quarter of a mile behind him. And that's the place Ryan said he was making for in his note. And what about the gun? The gun? But yes. Didn't he also say in the note that he was keeping a bullet for Pilgrim's Pond? I'm sure a bullet isn't half so useful without a gun. Well, we found no gun on him. Uh, luckily for me, I reckon. He must have got rid of it for some reason. Or perhaps it had fulfilled its purpose. Well, I don't know. Well, say, <clears throat> uh, I better go and tell old man Todd the heat's off. Uh, you gentlemen feel like strolling over to Pilgrim's Pond with me? I'm afraid I, I've things to do, Governor. Oh. Uh, Father Brown, I greatly appreciate your company and conversation. Well, yes, I'd like a breath of air. I find prison slightly um, enclosed. As I said, Father Brown, uh, Ireton Todd is quite character. <laughs> He's one of those millionaires who rose on stepping stones. Oh, yes, of our dead selves to higher things, perhaps. Uh... Yes, yes, that's it. You know, you English don't do justice to the climbing and aspiring power of our more remarkable citizens. Oh? Yeah, now, you see a good-looking gray-haired man in evening dress, and you don't realize that ten years ago he might have been in a tenement or in jail. Todd's like that. He made his pile pretty fast with the, the automobile craze. Ten years ago, he was nothing. You see, I looked him up in our records, uh, I'm proud of our record system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I invented it myself. Oh. Yes, <laughs> and I got the jackpot. Seems his little daughter, Etta, had a childhood sweetheart, uh, an Irish laborer. And when old man Todd got rich, he threw this Irish fella out on his ear. Now, you know what his name was? Uh, no, no, I can't say that I do. Ryan O'Shea. Remind you of anything, Ryan O'Shea? Well, it sounds rather like Oscar Ryan reverse. <laughs> Father Brown, I can see your reputation's deserved. Now it all makes sense, you see. O'Shea, or Ryan, goes to the bad. He's jailed for five years. In jail, he reads all about this English lord and his little Etta, his childhood sweetheart. See. Uh, anyway, here, here we are. This is Pilgrim's Pond. Uh, I'll ring the bell. Now, he gets all riled up and decides to bust out of jail so's to gun for Ireton Todd, who he believes has ruined his life. I see. It's old. Good evening, sir. That it is. Yes. Uh, 
I'm Governor Usher from the penitentiary. Uh, I'd like to speak to Mr. Todd. I'm afraid Mr. Todd is out, sir. Out? Uh, I thought he was having a party. One of the guests has gone missing, sir. Lord Falconroy. Mr. Todd and the other guests are out trying to find him. Well, I'll be. Uh, Lord Falconroy. Uh, is Miss Etta about? I believe I saw Miss Etta and a companion getting into her motor car. Ah, it seems you have just missed her. Oh, I expect she's helping in the search. No doubt, sir. Well, uh, when Mr. Todd gets back, uh, you just tell him not to worry, because I've caught Oscar Ryan. That, that's me personally, Governor Usher. I will convey that message to him, Mr. Usher. Hmm. <sighs> what a fool I've been, Father Brown. Oh, surely not, Mr. Usher. I stupidly thought it was Todd that Ryan was gunning for, and I was wrong. Ah. No, nope. Ryan was after his rival, my Lord Falconroy, and he got him. The English Lord Falconroy, who he learned was sweet on his little Etta Todd. That's why he threw the gun away. He'd slain his rival. Oh. Uh, it was a crime of jealousy. A, a, a crime passionale. After he'd shot Falconroy, he'd no further use for the gun and threw the body in the pond, uh, Pilgrim's Pond itself. It's a pretty deep pond, that is. It is? Yes, it is. Never mind. Uh, I got a trick or two up my sleeve still, Reverend. Now let's get back. Uh, there's one or two things I'd like to show you at the pen. Might well interest a famous criminologist like yourself. Did you ever see a psychometric detector put into practice? A what? <laughs> it's a pulsometer strapped to a man's wrist. Uh, it measures the heartbeats. Good heavens, why? Well, the variations in pulse rate tell me if he's lying. What? How? <laughs> I reckon you English don't cotton to the march of science in these matters. I intend using the machine on Oscar Ryan. And in my opinion, the machine can't lie. No machine can lie, Mr. Usher, nor can it tell the truth. Uh, but um, how does your machine work? Well, I, I simply read a list of words to the subject and ask him in each case to reply with the first word that comes into his head. The machine records variations in his pulse. Oh. Now, the trick is to introduce some word connected with something quite different, yet in a list in which it occurs quite naturally. Oh, I see. Well, I think I do. If he's agitated by the word, his pulse will jump? I'll prove to you it works. Now, here's Ryan's cell. Uh, I posted a warder outside. I thought your system made that unnecessary. Well, uh, this is a, a special case. McGurk, uh, how's the prisoner been behaving? Uh, not too badly, sir. He seems a bit resentful. <laughs> he keeps on demanding to make a telephone call. <laughs> a telephone call? Well, open up, will you? Come on, Ryan. Come on, out you come. There's the governor to see you. All right. Look, I can't stick this much more. If you want to know all about... Address the governor, sir. Oh, very well. Sir! Sir! Yeah, Pimpus, will you look at that? It's Ronald Doyle! Quiet, you! you I said quiet! Look at him, Pimpus! I said quiet, quiet! Now, or you'll be in trouble. You were saying, Ryan? Nothing. What do you want to do with me? Just a few simple tests. This way. Now, Ryan, uh, I'm going to say some words to you. And I want you to reply with the first thing that comes into your head. Very well. Right. 
Bird. Brain. Oh. Robin. Good fellow. Owl. Uh, Waverly Pen. What? No, it's, it's an advertisement on the railway. Uh, they come as a boon and a blessing to men, the Pickwick, the Owl, and the Waverly Pen. Oh. Wren. Jenny. Falcon. What? What did you say? Falcon, I said, Mr. Ryan. Falcon. As in falconery. Uh, falconer. Canary. Yellow. All right. That'll do. And uh, my telephone call. McGarrick. Sir. Take the prisoner to a telephone. Yes, sir. Oh, and uh, uh, McGurk, give me your notepad. Oh, yes. Here it is. All right. Now look this up in the files and call me. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I understand. Uh, come this way, you. Uh. Well, Father Brown, you saw the way that needle jumped when I mentioned Falcon. <laughs> and boy, did you see how it bounded when I began to make an R afterwards, like in Falcon Roy, the man he just killed. I reckon that's a sight more conclusive than a whole lot of gabble from unreliable human witnesses. Well, yes, yes, that's just the trouble. Human beings are so unreliable. Your reliable machine has to be worked by an unreliable machine. What unreliable machine? I mean man, the most unreliable machine I know of. But do you mean that no, I... No, 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 I don't want to be ruled. And I don't think you will consider man to be an offensive or inaccurate description of yourself. Um, you observed his manner, the man you call Ryan, but um, who is to say he did not observe yours? What do you mean? But if you could tell by his manner that the word that might send him to the electrical chair had come, why shouldn't he be able to tell from your manner that you were about to speak that word? I was cool as a cucumber. Oh, yes. Well, criminals can be as cool as cucumbers too. Though not, I think, this one. Yes, I I'm sure you're fundamentally right. He was frightened of something. Well, I'm mightily glad to hear you agree with me about something, Father Brown. Oh, that uh, must be uh, McGurk. Yes, McGurk? Ah, good, good. That's fine. Mighty fine. We'll be right over. Uh, <laughs> I asked McGurk to check the files on Drugger Doyle. Uh, you recall the name the other prisoner called out oh, when he saw Ryan? Yes, yes, Drugger Doyle. It seemed to produce a sort of reticence in him. Yeah, well, it seems like McGurk's found something. Doyle, William Michael, hmm. origin unknown, query Ireland. Ah, there, you see. Hmm. Nickname, Drugger Doyle. Yes, why was that, Mr McGurk? Well, it seems it was to do with his modus operandi, Father. Mm -hmm. Apparently he was a handsome, well-bred seaman book. Well, that fits our man, anyhow. Oh, that it does, sir. He used to make himself agreeable to barmaids and shop girls, that sort of poor, silly creature, and trick them out of their money. Oh, he was a species of grafter. Sometimes, though... He went a great deal farther, and they were found drugged with cigarettes or chocolates, and all their property, everything they had, was missing. Uh, hence the nickname. Ah, yes, sir. By then, though, he'd moved on to a bigger game. The spoiled daughters of the rich. <laughs> you know the sort. Rich little darlings whose parents can't refuse them anything. Uh, and Dirk, I'll have none of your socialism here. Oh, sorry, sir, sorry. Mm. Anyhow... He was sent down several times, never got too long a sentence. Then one day, he overdid the dose. 
One of his victims was found dead, and Doyle disappeared from Chicago. Oh, what a mean, depraved creature this Doyle sounds. Sure does, Father. Well, with this against him, he'll be lucky to escape the chair. Even if we don't find Falcon... Sir, 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 mm. it says here that a character answering Doyle's description later turned up in New York, suspected of defrauding a wealthy widow out of it over a million dollars. Huh. Then he disappeared. Uh, that was 1908, sir. Five years ago, just about the time Ryan was put away. <laughs> I reckon my machine and my record system have just about done for Ryan. Ryan equals Doyle equals the electric hot seat. Mm, what your methods have done for Mr. Ryan, whoever he may be... What? ...is save him from the electric chair. Uh, Mr. Usher, you've proved that Drugger Doyle, the wanted murderer, couldn't possibly be your Mr. Ryan. Well, how do you mean, Father? Why, bless us all, because Oscar Ryan is unlikely to be guilty of all these mean, cowardly acts. Uh, Mr. McGurk here uh, tells us that uh, Drugger Doyle spent years wheedling small sums out of needy young girls. Oh, oh that's mm, right, sir. Yes. And that he drugged and cheated and lied? Uh, yes, yes. Now, is that the kind of man who would dare to attack an armed warder, though unarmed himself? Well, I... Uh, would he leap down from a high wall at considerable risk to his but, life? But, would but, a man whose whole life is deception and lies leave a note to the police telling them where to look for him? You mean the message about Pilgrim's Pond? Yes, yes. Doyle would only have said he was going to Pilgrim's Pond if he had no intention of going near the place. <laughs> Saints alive, the two men's characters are utterly different. Dragger Doyle would never risk his life and his freedom to carry out an act of vengeance. So the man I've got isn't Dragger Doyle? Uh, no. no. That's not what I said. I said Oscar Ryan isn't your man. Well, then what... It... Saving your cloth, Father, what in hell do you mean? You remember, your prisoner made a telephone call, and unless I'm very much mistaken, he's already got his response. Who, who is it? Uh, come in. It's only me, Governor. <laughs> Father O'Connor, I'm extremely busy. Well, now, I'm truly sorry, Governor, but I've someone here who insists on seeing you. Yes, I do. Now, see here, Don't you, you talk to Governor Russia like that. <laughs> Father O'Connor, I fully appreciate that as a priest, it is your duty to tend to tramps and hobos or whatever kind of down and out this fella is, but... Are you, Usher, the idiot that came to my house? What? See here, Usher. You leave go of my guest. Keep him here for a split instant longer, and you'll feel pretty mean. I reckon I'm not a man with no pull. Who is this hobo? Is the cosmos cracked or something? Now, see here, Usher. I won't... Who the hell are you, you bum? The gentleman's name is Mr. Todd. Mr. Ireton Todd. I fear you don't read the society papers properly, Mr. Usher. Remember, there's been a, a slum dinner at Pilgrim's Pond tonight, and one of the guests disappeared. Mr. Todd is a good host. He's come to collect his guest without even pausing to take off his slum fancy dress, hmm? Oh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, what guest do you mean? Why, Lord Falconroy, of course. Didn't my butler tell you? Lord, Lord Falconroy? Yes. Uh, Mr. Todd, uh, I apologize that I didn't recognize you, but hmm. uh, uh, I've got to tell you that I'm sorry to say that your guest, uh, Lord Falconroy, uh, is dead. Dead? Hmm. The man's mad. See here, you. Lord Falconroy telephoned me not ten minutes ago. Well, I think, Mr. Usher, that Lord Falconroy is not dead. I think I understand you, John. He is, in fact, gentlemen, 
in cell number 25. Wow. Thank you. Someone's making sense at last. Cell 2-5. I'll go and collect him uh, myself. Hold, hold, hold on there. Uh, are you saying that the man in rags I caught was Lord Falconroy? That's right. Dressed in his fancy dress costume for the slum dinner. <laughs> you said your machine couldn't make a mistake, and in one sense it didn't. But the other machine did. The machine that worked it. You assumed that the man in rags jumped at the name of Lord Falconroy because he was Lord Falconroy's murderer. <laughs> he jumped at the name because he himself was Lord Falconroy. Then why the blazes didn't he say so? Well, perhaps he felt his flight and panic were hardly uh, patrician. Yes. Yes, perhaps in his terror he was glad to escape from the avenging arm of Oscar Ryan into the comparative security of a prison cell. I, I suspect... He was just going to tell you who he really was uh, when that fellow in the in the other cell opposite saw him and found another name for him. You, you mean you... you now, wait here. Uh, the man I caught really is Drugger Doyle? Lord Falconroy is Drugger Doyle? It seems a strong possibility. Yes, I think it is probable that Lord Falconroy and Drugger Doyle are one and the same. Oh, I've no idea what you lunatics are talking about. But I demand that you release my guest immediately. No, Mr. Todd, I, I will not release Lord Falconroy. Oh. I'm holding him pending investigation of a murder that occurred in... Uh, uh, you got the file there, McGurk? Yes, sir, here. Uh, here. Thank you. In, uh, in uh, 1905, in the state of Illinois, under his then alias of Drugger Doyle. You'll answer to this, Usher. I'm quite prepared to do that, Mr. Todd. Uh, Mr. Todd, have you informed the police that your daughter is missing? Uh, how the hell did... No, sir, I have not. My daughter is a very independent young lady. She frequently goes off without telling me. She can look after herself. She'll be back tomorrow. I see. And were any of the guests at your slum dinner dressed as convicts, may I ask? Yes. It was my daughter's show. She had quite a few of her friends dressed like that. Look, I, I, I've had enough of this nonsense. I'll be round to see Falconroy in the morning with my lawyers. Good night. Hmm. Well, hmm. well I shall... Um... I shall be quite surprised tomorrow if the pink papers don't report something like um, astounding elopement of escaped convict with heiress, her childhood sweetheart. Well, I'll be. I guess Edda arranged this whole freak dinner just to cover her getaway with Ryan. But uh, why did Ryan want to kill Falconroy? Well, it's all in the foil, sir. It seems before Todd got rich... Etta was one of the poor girls that Doyle deceived. And when Etta told Ryan who Falconroy was, he decided to combine avenging her with their elopement. Why didn't he kill him, John? Oh, I imagine Falconroy fled when Ryan threatened him, and the lovers weren't prepared to jeopardize their plans to elope by pursuing him. Huh? Love mattered more to them than hatred, it would seem. That is something. <laughs> Imagine Lord High Falconroy being a fake. Oh, oh, he's no fake. What? No, he's a perfectly genuine peer of the realm. <laughs> Mr. Usher, you don't do justice to the, uh, what was it, a climbing power of our more remarkable citizens. You see a good-looking grey-haired man with a title, and you don't realise that ten years ago he might have been uh, in jail. In The Mistake of the Machine by G.K. Chesterton, 
The part of Father Brown was played by Andrew Sachs. O'Connor by T.P. McKenna. McGurk by Billy Boyle. Usher by Don Fellows. The Prisoner by Brian Haynes. Todd by Ed Bishop. The Butler by Manning Wilson. And The Convict by Stuart Organ. The Mistake of the Machine was adapted by John Scotney. And the director from Bristol was Alec Reed. Mm -hmm.